You are listening to Revolver Podcast. Want to grow your own weed but not sure where to get the seed? Go to bcbuddepot.com. For nearly 15 years, BC Bud Depot has been building one of the world's most comprehensive seed banks, offering over 50 strains of top quality cannabis to suit every grower's needs, including multiple award-winning strains like Godbud, The Perps, BC Blueberry, Girl Scout Cookies, and more. In fact, BC Bud Depot's genetics have won over 30 different cannabis awards over the past decade. So you know you're dealing with a recognized industry leader that will deliver you some of the most potent, flavorful flowers on the planet. They ship worldwide, offering fast, discreet delivery at reasonable prices. All online orders are processed within 48 hours and are packaged and mailed with the utmost stealth and safety in mind. And if for some reason your order gets lost, damaged, or confiscated, BC Bud Depot will resend it at no extra charge guaranteeing that every customer receives what they paid for. Whether you're looking for indica or sativa, indoor or outdoor, feminized or auto-flowering, BC Bud Depot has the seeds you need at a price you can handle. But don't take my word for it. Check out their extensive library of award-winning genetics for yourself at bcbuddepot.com and type in promo code BLAZIN420 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. BC Bud Depot home of cannabis champions since 2002. Please check your local state and national laws before ordering. It's time to roll up those joints, pack those bowls, and fire up those nails. Because you're listening to Blazing with Bobby Black. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Blazin'. I'm your host, Bobby Black. You know, when we look around in America today and we see how popular pot has become and we see all these great pot events and we see all the money being made from legal cannabis, it's tempting to think that we've pretty much won the drug war and things are going our way. But we have to keep in mind that there are still many, many people who are still in prison for nonviolent marijuana offenses. And what's truly tragic and unbelievable is that some of them are actually in there for life. But thankfully, there are some activists out there who are trying to change that. My guest today is the executive director of the Marijuana Lifer Project, a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping to get prisoners who are in jail for nonviolent uh, life sentences for marijuana released. Uh, and her name is Sherry Sicard. Sherry, welcome to the show. Hi, Bobby. Thanks for having me. Tell the listeners a little about uh, the Marijuana Lifer Project, how it came together. Well, it really came together out of my work. I've been working with uh, prisoners serving life sentences for marijuana for about three years or so now on my own, and it just became necessary to start an organization to back it up because I was entirely doing all the work myself and entirely self-financed, and so it really became necessary to start an organization so we can do some bigger projects uh, coming up forward. But I have been working with these guys for about three years. I personally interact with all the prisoners we advocate on behalf of. And it certainly does make a difference. We have had some great successes. Uh, six of the prisoners I've worked with have been released, either through clemency or other means. 
But it also makes a difference in the everyday lives of these prisoners. I mean, think about that. You're in prison with no end of, no light at the end of the tunnel, and life without parole in many of these cases for nonviolent offenses. And it's very rare that anybody reaches in. So when we have volunteers that send in cards and letters or raise commissaries as or interact with them, that is such an amazing ray of hope to all of them that anybody cares enough to reach in. The Marijuana Life Project just grew out of that. I've been doing this work, finally decided to make it official and bite the bullet and start a nonprofit org. So that's what I did. And your first case, if I'm not mistaken, was a man named Randy Lanier. Is that correct? Yes, he's the first lifer I started working with, and he's kind of how I discovered this. Um, I became acquainted with Randy when I was doing research for my last book, uh, which is Mary Jane, the Complete Marijuana Handbook for Women. Um, and when I found Randy... Nobody was talking about him. The website he thought he had had been down for over a year, and he was pretty much forgotten, and that just horrified me. So my business partner in Z-Dog Media, Mitch Mandel, and I built a website for him. We started doing social media outreach, and from Randy, I started connecting with other prisoners, and it grew from there, and we built some websites for Fall Free and for Craig Cecil, and then it just grew and grew, and again, we eventually had to start a nonprofit org to keep up with it all. So how many prisoners total would you say you've worked with, and how many have you actually been able to get released? Well, I can't say I personally got them released. That's not exactly what I meant. I, I, I apologize. I meant that your eff, the efforts of the organization got released, yeah. helped get released. I wish I had that kind of power. Um, six <laughs> of them that I have personally been working with have been released, uh, but... How many are there? There's no hard and fast stats on this. They discover new ones all the time, and so we will continually be adding new ones to the Marijuana Life Project website as we go along. Um, we're estimating there might be somewhere between 30 and 60 overall, but we're not. they have not all been identified. There are more lifers in state cases. Right now I'm only working with federal prisoners because it's all we have time for, but there are more in state cases as well, so we just keep adding to that list as we find them. Uh, we do have pretty strict criteria of having no violence in the case and only marijuana crimes. You know, a lot of the listeners might be kind of scratching their heads and saying, what do you mean a life sentence for nonviolent pot? Like, how does that even happen? How? What offense could be so heinous that would get you a life sentence? Yeah, how the heck does that happen? Unfortunately, it's surprisingly easy, and uh, it's... It involves sometimes mandatory minimums and sentencing enhancement comes into play. Uh, for instance, in the case of Weldon Angelos, he owned a weapon that triggered sentencing enhancements, and he ended up with 55 years for three small sales. But most of them, it comes about because of conspiracy. Uh, the conspiracy statute would hold one person responsible for the activities of a group. So some of the guys were importing large amounts of weed, that's true. Others were really minor players that did nothing more than, say, repair the trucks that hauled the weed or watch the house where it was stored. And how they end up with the life sentences, they took it to trial. They believed in our system of justice. They knew they hadn't really done anything wrong. And the system is stacked against them. Most of these people got a life sentence based on no actual evidence, only on the testimony of other people who were themselves trying to avoid prison time. So they had a lot of incentives to lie or exaggerate, and that's how it happens. If you're the last person who doesn't cooperate and rat out others, you get left holding the bag. 
Some of these guys are even first-time offenders. They even have a paraplegic in a wheelchair serving a life sentence. It knows no bounds. Wow. It's just hard to process. You mentioned, so like if you have a gun, let's say you own a gun and it's legally mm-hmm. owned and it's not mm-hmm. involved in the crime, they still hold that against you, in other words. Absolutely, yeah. It doesn't matter. And it's uh, funny, the NRA is constantly screaming about, about gun rights should protect the rights of patients and people in this industry because, yeah, it certainly will trigger um, a greater sentence than if there was no gun present. I even say that in my book as a warning to parents who have guns and marijuana and children. The Having a gun in the house with your child isn't going to get your kid taken away, but if you have a gun and marijuana, forget it, <laughs> in any state. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing that the U.S. government seems to think that pot in the house is more dangerous to children than a, than a loaded gun. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but like so many things concerning cannabis, it is really, really crazy. And that's another thing that's crazy about the marijuana lifers. You know, most of these guys are old men that have been in for decades. For instance, our longest-serving marijuana prisoner is Antonio Bascaro. He's 81 years old. He's been in over 35 years. But this is still going on. Our newest lifer, Corvain Cooper, got a life sentence in 2014. And I just heard about two more that got a life sentence last month. So we're still doing this. We're still handing out life sentences for nonviolent marijuana offenses. It's absurd considering that in some states it's almost completely legal, and in other states you, you're getting a life sentence. I'm guessing that there are some states that are far worse uh, when it comes to handing out these uh, sentences than others, correct? Yeah, there are. There are more in like Florida and Oklahoma, but the cases I'm talking about are federal. So this is our federal government still doing this. All of the guys on the Marijuana Life Project uh, website are federal cases from the U.S. government, so... And that's who just uh, handed out some more life sentences last month. And so it's still going on at the federal level. And that's why I started this organization. It is the dirty little secret of the Justice Department. Most people don't know these guys even exist, let alone that it's still continuing to go on today. So that's our big project. We want to spread awareness. We want the public to be outraged about this so they demand change. Uh, one of the things we want to do this year is a billboard campaign starting in D.C. So we need to fundraise for that if anyone wants to donate. Yeah, absolutely. So you guys do billboards, you said, obviously, so that's awareness. You also do outreach to the prisoners themselves to try to make yeah. their well, existence. We haven't done the billboard yet, but that is one of our big plans this year. We definitely do a lot of outreach to the prisoners themselves. We, whenever we get the chance to talk to legislators or high-profile people and can spread the uh, word of this cause, we do so. Um, and we try to support the prisoners themselves. Many of them have clemency petitions in, and that is their only chance of getting out is for the president to grant them clemency. So on the website, there, uh, with each prisoner, there's a page on how you can help that prisoner. And usually it involves something as simple as writing a letter in support of, I think this prisoner should get clemency. That can make a huge impact, and we also have uh, people that are going out and doing this at their normal chapters or their ASIC chapters or things like this. We even have a few activists who are just camping out in front of dispensaries and getting people to find these letters, so that's wonderful. Sure. So you guys are also involved in uh, rallies and petitions, obviously. Do you do any like direct uh, lobbying efforts uh, in Washington? 
or at stake. No, we haven't, and uh, the Marijuana Lifestyle Project is not set up as a political lobbying organization. That may be something we'll consider in the future to add a new branch of, but right now we're an educational organization that tries to, to spread awareness of this and support the prisoners themselves in the way that they need so that we can support their efforts to get out. Great, great. And what's what would you say is like the biggest obstacle that you've encountered when you're trying to uh, appeal for clemency or, or get these prisoners' cases? You know, like one of that? the biggest things that that's the hardest to overcome is this: this whole issue is so unbelievable to people that they don't believe it. They just figure there must be more to the story. There's more you're not telling me. There's a dead body somewhere if you serve in a life sentence. Things like that which is not true. We actually have nonviolent offenders, sometimes first-time offenders serving life for weed. That is the truth of it. But sometimes it's very hard for people to believe that, that in this country, the so-called land of the free and home of the brave, that that is going on. Um, we had some activists last year in front of the White House with posters and government workers came out to ask, what country are these men incarcerated in? So that's the level of ignorance that's going on on this issue. That's why awareness is so important. Sure. Have you yourself ever, uh, because of your efforts as an activist, been in any way a target of, uh, you know, any kind of discrimination or or uh, malice from law enforcement? Because uh, I'm guessing that law enforcement yeah. and prosecutors don't particularly like seeing these cases brought into the public eye and have a spotlight shown on them. Well, I hate to curse this by saying no, but so far, no, the only negativity I've come out has been from people within our own movement, which is really sad. Uh, but no, so far that has not been an issue. I've even been to prison and visit, and everybody has been really respectful. And if they know that prisoner, like I've been to visit Paul Free many times in Atwater, and the guards now are aware that he has a website, that there is outreach. They go to my website, they go to his website, they know who, who I am. Um, and once they realize that this guy is in here for a week, even they're outraged at that. Unfortunately, not enough to write a letter because that puts their job on the line. But they are sympathetic to the cause. Um, the only thing I've come close to that is having my car searched to prison, probably because they know who I am. Um, that's happened three times, and two out of three was only me. One time it was everybody. But I know better than to bring stuff, so it's all right. It's all good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Have there been have there been any um, public officials or politicians that have actually been helpful to you that have seen the injustice and and try to be of aid in this effort? Well, I mean, there's, some are more uh, helpful on the justice issues than others, for sure. But um, in this last year, I got to speak with both Rand Paul on the Republican side and Ed Lou on the Democratic side. Both of them are really great on justice issues. And we're interested in furthering this cause. So now that I have an official organization behind me, I need to contact them again and see if they will really get more involved. Uh, we hope they will. Um, there are others, Dana Rohrbacher, uh Anybody that's friendly to the cannabis issue is usually friendly on this issue as well. Great. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back with more from Sherry Sicard. Want to grow your own weed but not sure where to get the seed? Go to bcbuddepot.com. For nearly 15 years, BC Bud Depot has been building one of the world's most comprehensive seed banks, offering over 50 strains of top-quality cannabis to suit every grower's needs, including multiple award-winning strains like Godbud, The Perps, BC Blueberry, Girl Scout Cookies, and more. In fact, 
BC Bud Depot's genetics have won over 30 different cannabis awards over the past decade. So you know you're dealing with a recognized industry leader that will deliver you some of the most potent, flavorful flowers on the planet. They ship worldwide, offering fast, discreet delivery at reasonable prices. All online orders are processed within 48 hours and are packaged and mailed with the utmost stealth and safety in mind. And if for some reason your order gets lost, damaged, or confiscated, BC Bud Depot will resend it at no extra charge, guaranteeing that every customer receives what they paid for. Whether you're looking for indica or sativa, indoor or outdoor, feminized or auto-flowering, BC Bud Depot has the seeds you need at a price you can handle. But don't take my word for it. Check out their extensive library of award-winning genetics for yourself at bcbuddepot.com and type in promo code BLAZIN420 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. BC Bud Depot, home of cannabis champions since 2002. Please check your local, state, and national laws before ordering. All right, and we are back here with our guest this week, uh, author and activist Sherry Sicard. Uh, from the Marijuana Lifer Project. And, you know, we should mention that uh, before you got involved in uh, in this cause, which is a very uh, noble cause, you were actually a uh, cannabis chef, a cannabis author for recipes and cooking. How did you make that transition? Oh, well, when I got into cannabis, yeah, I was a food writer before, so writing the cookbook was a natural kind of progression, and I've been a writer on a number of subjects, so that was a natural progression. But I've always been a cannabis activist since I got involved in this. Um, I came to the party a little bit late. It was in my late 30s before I started using it as a regular part of my everyday life, and uh, like most people, I had been raised with the propaganda, and I was worried I was doing myself harm, so I started doing research, and that just pissed me off <laughs> that we'd been lied to. So... For six months, I went from the typical closeted smoker to an outspoken activist, and you know, no wipers are just one more extension of that. Well, your book is uh, called the Cannabis Gourmet Cookbook. On, what... on cooking, and then I also have Mary Jane, which is a complete guide to marijuana for women. And what is what does that cover? Uh, it, what kind of uh, issues does that cover? Mary Jane covered everything. It has a little bit of cooking, a little bit of growing, a little bit of history, medical, legal, pop culture, music, books, movies, careers. It really is a broad spectrum book that is kind of meant to introduce women and make them more comfortable. Uh, my publisher, Seal Press, came to me and said, all those books out there are for dudes and we want one that speaks to women. And so we did that. I'm really proud of it. It is a uh, it's a really fun book, as well as being informative and educational. And we've gotten a lot of great mainstream press from it, like uh, Time and the Daily Boot Beast and the Huffington Post. And it's carried in Urban Outfitters. So I'm really proud that we kind of mainstream the marijuana message with that book. Yeah, and I'm sure you've noticed, but over the years, it seems like uh, you know the female audience for uh, weed or for stoner culture has definitely expanded. I remember when I first began working at High Times back in the uh, early to mid '90s, it, when we would go to cannabis, there weren't very many cannabis events back then. But when we did go to a can, <laughs> when we did go to a cannabis event or anything uh, related or High Times to a party, it, it tended to be super predominantly male. Our readership was super predominantly male at the time, you know, and uh, mm -hmm. over the past maybe 10, 15 years at most, it's started ramping up. And now it seems like you go to events and the 
the female audience is just about as big as the male audience, I, I would say, at this point. I think so. It's really evened out. And it's funny, I came from a background of being in the internet industry, too, and I saw the exact same thing happen there. And to where it evened out, and I definitely have seen that in cannabis. And there's, you know, I always get asked the question, do we need more women in cannabis? And we need more quality people and women, it doesn't matter. But um, there definitely are more women. There's a lot of women in leadership roles. In fact, there are more cannabis women-owned businesses than there are in the general sector that own businesses. So I think women are very well uh, represented. Um, I think part of that is because there is no glass ceiling. This is a new industry. There are no rules. We're all making it up as we go along. So it's anybody's game. Yeah, there, there seem to be quite a few uh, female gondrepreneurs, as they say, out there now that are making some big bucks and, and making some big changes. For sure. And I think that's a good thing. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, I want to talk a little more about the Marijuana Lifer Project. I want to know a little bit more about the individual's that you're helping, that you're trying to get released. Tell me a little about some of the big cases that you've been involved with. Um, well, like I said, most of them involve conspiracy, and it, they're usually pretty complicated in large cases, so it's probably more than we can go into. But if you look into them, it will curl your hair when you see the prosecutorial misconduct, the judicial misconduct. In some cases, even their defense attorneys were in on it, working uh, with the prosecution. So there's really some horrendous stories there that I would love to get some investigative reporters in, interested in. Uh, for instance, uh, we have Paul Free, who can clearly prove that he could not have been where they said he was to do the things they said he did. He's had witnesses come forward and give signed affidavits. He has physical evidence, and it doesn't matter. They just ignore it. He uh, has appealed all the way to the Supreme Court, and he asked me to call last week just to check if they got it and uh, why they denied this appeal, because it says clearly on page two why he's entitled, and the clerk actually told me, oh, we just go by whatever the lower court said. So I'm not sure what the point of appealing to the Supreme Court is, but they just go on the lower court's ruling, but unfortunately, when you're a prisoner um, trying to appeal your own legal work, this is the rule rather than exception. The courts just ignore it and assume you're guilty. <laughs> so it's an impossible uphill battle, but we keep battling because somebody's life and somebody's freedom is at stake. Why do you think it is they're so reluctant to look at the new evidence or reconsider a decision? Do you think it's just because they just don't want to admit that they were, were wrong? I mean, is it that simple or I, yeah, is it something bigger than that? a lot of it, yeah. They admit they're wrong and in a case like this, it really would open a huge can of worms of not just one person that was wrong, but really a whole conspiracy that worked together to make sure this man went to jail. And, you know, there's a lot of people that that would be wrong, and I don't know if there's repercussions this long later. I don't know. I hope he just gets frequency and they call it a day and let him out. It would be nice, but... That's one case. Uh, every case has different circumstances that are, in most instances, pretty shocking when you hear what went on, like Craig Cecil repaired trucks that were used to haul, haul marijuana. You know, he had a long, complicated case in the course of this. They tried to have him declared insane. Uh, they sold all the assets. It's just a very long, complex story in, in most of these cases that we can go on. I mean, he finally felt he had no 
no choice but to plead guilty, thinking, okay, that'll at least get me out of the life sentence. Well, it didn't, and now he's on record as pleading, pleading guilty. I do withdraw that, wasn't allowed to. It, it's a lot of complex legal maneuvering, and unfortunately, a lot of times the person caught in this at the time doesn't have a lot of experience to know how to best deal with it, and doesn't always have competent counsel. Um, oftentimes, they have nothing more than a public defender. And they're facing a life sentence. So it's a really sad situation in a lot of ways, and they really need help, and they really need presidential clemency, or they're going to die behind bars. And that really haunts me. It should haunt everybody that is freely enjoying marijuana every day. Think about that. While you're doing that, somebody is behind bars for the rest of their life. Yeah. It's tragic. It really is. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk uh, because of the Black Lives Matter movement and all of the police brutality cases that have come to light in the past mm-hmm. few years about how broken the criminal justice system and how broken the law enforcement policies are in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- a lot of that discussion has been focused on race, but I think mm-hmm. it's uh, equally applicable in, in, a, in a different kind of way when you're dealing with cannabis users and drug users in general, but particularly cannabis users because cannabis users For are sure. usually on the nonviolent side. They're usually not, you know, related to theft or weapons in in, in most cases. Um, and then just exactly. seeing seeing what's going on with that and then seeing for instance that special on uh, Netflix the making of a murderer i don't know if you saw that but it's been like talked about a lot in the media lately where mm-hmm. you see how the police yeah, and the, the prosecution the work to railroad people lifers could e- make as equally as compelling if not more compelling a documentary than that because certainly those kind of things went on in many of the cases of the marijuana lifers and then some really ugly egregious <laughs> horrible wrongs that can come out. So very much so, there's a lot of similarities there. Um, as far as race, um, it is broken across the board, and really working on this issue has taught me that. It is broken at every level of government, from the smallest little local thing all the way up to the top, which I know is pretty depressing for people like me and probably for everyone else, but it's the truth of the matter. Um, as far as the lifers are concerned, we have some black lifers, we have Hispanic lifers, we have white lifers. That seems to know no racial bounds. In fact, there's probably more white lifers than any others uh, for marijuana when we bring in other drugs. And, of course, we see more of those racial disparities. But for marijuana, um, a lot of guys are white. We do have some black and Hispanic as well. Yeah, I mean, we really need to uh, get like hashtag Stoner Lives Matter going <laughs> or something. I mean, here we go. <laughs> we definitely need. Uh, yeah, but I don't want to take away from their thunder because Black Lives do matter. But yeah, we do need something because there, there definitely is a marijuana prejudice that exists in still a lot of the country. It's amazing how much progress we have made, but there's still a lot there. Um, we were at the California Democratic Convention last week, and uh, Cynthia Johnston had some of the posters, and she was talking to one of the cops there who basically said, look, the law, he deserves it. You know, Like, what an idiotic statement to make. If we all believed in that, we'd still be under British rule. <laughs> but <laughs> a lot of people have that attitude. Uh, it was kind of interesting. So uh, have you actually been uh, present when... Uh, one or more of these lifers has gotten out finally. Um, and if you were, tell tell us a little about what that was like. 
physically, but on the phone for sure. Uh, Randy, I knew, was getting out about a month or so before we were able to publicly talk about that. So I knew about it, and he knew about it. Um, a few people in this family knew about it, but we couldn't talk about it, so that was really hard. But I did talk to him immediately after he got out, and he called me. And the same just happened with Billy Deacon, who just got clemency, who was a former Marine that I did a lot of advocacy for. And when he found out about the clemency that morning, um, of course, he called his wife first. And they're not allowed to make another phone call for 15 minutes. So his daughter had immediately messaged me, so I knew right away, too, just as soon as his family knew that he had been granted clemency. But Billy had another prisoner that's in there, another marijuana lifer, Andy Cox, but call Sherry and tell her right away because he could call. So by the time Andy called, I already knew, and he's like, how did you know? <laughs> so word travels fast. We were all thrilled and all doing the happy dance. And, yeah, I haven't met them in person on the day they get out, but they're certainly in touch with me by a phone and by email and certainly in the loop because I talk to most of these guys almost every day or email with them almost every day. That's amazing. And I can only imagine how grateful their families are to you and, and to everyone who's involved in uh, helping get them out of there and make and give them a chance yeah, to enjoy a life. Yeah, that for me has been really rewarding. Yeah, they are, they are certainly appreciative, as are their families. And I encourage everybody to get involved in helping prisoners for no other reason than as activists. For the most part, it feels like we're just banging our heads against the wall and not making a difference. And you are making a difference when you interact with prisoners, even if it's just done a one-on-one. It majorly impacts their world. And they always tell me it's not just their world. When we send photos or letters or cards, it raises the spirits of everybody around them because it's so rare that anybody reaches in that it just gives everybody around them hope. So it's a really positive thing to do and a really easy way to make a huge impact in someone's life. You really are making a difference. Great. So tell, let's tell the listeners what website should they go to to learn more and to get involved, and what can they do to help? Sure. They can go to marijuanaleferproject.org. And like I said, if you click around there, there's all kind of ways. There's a whole how to help section, how to write clemency support letters. Of course, we always need money, so if you have a few extra bucks, you can donate. Our 501c3 is pending. So as soon as that comes through, we'll be able to give you a tax deduction receipt as well. But we are a nonprofit corporation right now, and that will be coming through soon. And you can just write a card or a letter or reach inside to a prisoner. That makes a huge impact and brightens their day more than you can ever imagine. That little simple act of just sending a postcard or a letter can do it, make a tremendous impact. Um, and clemency support letter is vital to helping these guys get out as our funds. That, uh, to do billboard campaigns and awareness campaigns and things like that. So we're just ramping up. Uh, log on to the website, follow us on Facebook, MarijuanaLaferProject.com, and please get involved. We're going to have some new programs rolling out as we go, go along through the year. We're just ramping up now. Great. Well, I look forward to seeing uh, what new programs you guys have, and uh, I encourage all the listeners to follow Sherry's advice and go check it out and get involved. It's a it's an amazing cause, and uh, Sherry, I can't thank you enough for inspiring people and giving them hope and help when they need it, and for uh, taking time out to talk to us today. It's truly inspiring. Thank you. Thank you, Bobby. Right, take care. 
All right. And once again, if you're interested in Sherry or the Marijuana Lifer Project, you can find links to their websites and profiles on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash blazingwithbb. You can also follow me on social media at Bobby Black on Twitter and on Facebook and Instagram at Bobby Black 420. And please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes as well. That's it for this week. Tune in again next time when my guest will be celebrated glass artist Mr. Darby Holm. Until then, this is Bobby Black saying, Blaze on, brothers and sisters. 